But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. This episode is recorded in two sittings. We're going to try Because we're and, so busy. We're just so popular. You know, work schedules, social calendar. Mm-hmm. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah. I'm taking you somewhere on Thursday that you don't know where it is or what it is. I, this is very exciting. I mean, it's still a joint cost. You just don't know what oh. you're paying for yet. <laughs> But it'll be okay. it'll be worth it. The surprise will be enough. So we'll report back on what that was, and hopefully it was a stone groove smash hit wonder. Mm, all right, as Miss Carrie would say, who is currently dressed as Jessica Rabbit. Love, oh God, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was such a fave. As I loved that movie. Last time we dressed up for Halloween was four years ago. Something before like that. the pandemic. We went as Archie and Jughead. From Riverdale. Yeah. It was it was cool. It was, I was joking. To, you were joking? Jughead. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still have the the crown um, beanie thing. I still have the wig. <laughs> <laughs> and the football uniform. Yes. Uh, so the point of that, before we got into the preamble, was hopefully we're going to do this smoothly enough to where there isn't any repetition or obsolete stuff. We may have to issue a slight little uh, um, regarding the WTA finals. Because when we talked mm-hmm. about that section in the upcoming section. <laughs> Which we already recorded. It uh, had not started hadn't yet. hadn't even started yet. So by the end of us recording this and putting it out, two full days would have happened. There is a whole lot of other stuff regarding the complaints by the players about the facilities and the site and some reporting that's that's been done on how it came to be. We won't get into that now. That'll be for maybe the next episode. Yes. Once we have time to read and understand some context. Yeah, but hopefully there's still enough in here for y'all to be suitably entertained. Mm-hmm. Now, we were just talking about Archie and your red wig. Speaking of carrot top wigs, Yannick Sinner won Vienna. His wig is glued Tight. Nobody currently. is budging it these days. Daniel Medvedev, who beat Yannick six times in a row, was undefeated against Yannick, has now lost the most recent two meetings. From pigeon to turning Daniel into a bald eagle. <laughs> wow. Does that work? These that metaphors work? are increasingly tortured, <laughs> just like his follicles. I'll stop. Wow. That wasn't like a body shame thing. That was a metaphorical was a hair shaming. Tug- it was like a wig tugging thing. Okay, it wasn't. Crawl yeah. your way out of no, that hole, boo. It wasn't like that. Uh, Yannick just won his fourth title of the year, his 10th overall in his career. And he seems to have turned a corner on Medvedev, who used to be a really difficult outing for him, taking a similar approach. Approaching the net 45 times, winning 34 of those points, and generally just trying to control points better from the baseline. It is a distinct strategy to deploy against Medvedev. And if you can execute it, it's the way to go. 
Sinner also hit one of the fastest forehands you'll ever see in this match. Mm. I'm sure this is a highlight that we'll be seeing for the rest of the year. When the year-end rap comes, you'll be like, <laughs> remember when? It yeah. had Darren Cahill positively giddy in the stands <laughs> after after seeing that. It's interesting because I, I was thinking about earlier this year, I think we were both pretty... Uh, pessimistic about Yannick's chances of being like the next big thing, right? Because mm-hmm. he has been touted as that for years now. And yes, he's made Grand Slam quarterfinals, but he was coming up short against the big players. He beat Carlos at Wimbledon last year, of course, uh, but making his first slam semi this year, winning a few titles, it really does feel like something has shifted. Okay. I mean, it's still best of three, not best of five. <laughs> okay. I will. <laughs> I mean, he was still huffing and puffing out there in these <laughs> three-set matches. So we'll we'll see. It's been a long year. Okay. For now, it's a, a great result for him. Mm-hmm. At Vienna, Andre Rublev secured his spot in the ATP Finals. He is number five, so there are three spots to go. He made the semifinals and lost to Sinner. This is after beating Zverev in three in the quarterfinals. Now, there is still hope if you'd like Zverev to miss the ATP Finals, but those hopes are slim. He looks pretty close to qualifying. Yeah, all those girlies in the numbers 7 to 15 position, they're just dropping like flies at every (laughs) tournament. Hello, American men. Okay. Uh, So Tiafo and Shelton were both long shots, but they were still technically in contention. They are no longer... Tommy Taylor Paul. Swift. Taylor Swift has been doing his best. I mean, he won today, though, I mm. believe, right? I guess I think so, yeah, in three sets. Mm-hmm. But he has been doing his best to, to miss out on the final spot. Uh, who else? Holger Huna is still in there. I think he's eight. Uh, it was a good week for him. Sort of righted the ship a little bit in Basel. I'm still deeply uninterested in this. So can oh, we move on? The race to wherever, wherever the fuck their finals playing. are. Yes. In Basel, <laughs> Felix was a defending champion and Felix defended his title. Now listen, I will take credit for this result mm-hmm. because clearly I sure took can't. a lot of just nasty stuff from us <laughs> to to whip him into shape. We haven't been too kind to Felix lately. No. A lot of tough love. But this week he got his win-loss record over 500 for the year. He won his fifth career title. Actually, all of his career titles were in 2022. So now he has one in 23. He will not qualify for the finals, that's guaranteed. But he has salvaged his ranking a little bit. He's held on. And in that final, he beat Urkacz, who had that big win the week prior. Yes. One of the hottest, if not the hottest player on tour right now. In Zhuhai, this is the WTA Elite Trophy. First time it was being held since the pandemic. And Bia Haddad Maya took the title. She got the double. She won singles and doubles at this event. Uh, in singles, she and Zhang Qinwen put on a great, great three-hour match. 7-6, 7-6. It's Bia's third career title. Uh, Zhang has had a pretty stunning past few weeks. After the whole drama with parting with Facet, just really has shown a lot of consistency through the Asian swing. The women ranked in the teens on the WTA were so close in ranking points that 
although the final rankings aren't out, it appears that Beatriz has bumped up eight spots to number 11 because of this win. 645 points. The way the format of this tournament worked with three players in each group, four groups total, the winner of each group made the semifinals. So you played only two matches. So it could have become tricky in terms of the qualification with the round robin format. You know, and it gets into like percentages and games won and head to head and this and that. It ended up not being a huge issue for most of the groups because they did the business, you know. Yeah. Unlike what I predicted, Barbora Kurchikova did not do the thing. <laughs> she did not do the thing. She went one and one, but Kazakina in her group went two and oh, so she made it to the semis. No drama. I think in three out of the four groups, uh, it was two and oh, right, right? The semifinalist was two and oh. In doubles? Had Admaya and Kudermetova defeat Kato and Sutiari. If you recall, they were the team that was defaulted at Roland Garros because Kato accidentally hit a ball kid with a ball. Yes. And at the time, I don't even know if we mentioned Sutiari's name. It was all about Kato back then. But it is uh, kind of nice to end the year like this when... Uh, still, I, I defend the default, but it's not a nice thing to have to go through. The men are now in Paris for the Paris Indoors. One of your favorite tournaments of the year. <laughs> the uh... Anytime there's a question on the schedule as to, oh, if we need to do some rearranging and get a tournament back, where would you put it? Where would you put this? You're just like 86, the Paris Masters, period. And? Every time. And? Uh, there's no and. I'm Madrid. just making... Madrid. Oh, I thought you were saying dump and Madrid. as in and what? And what of it? No, what are the Masters 1000s that you would dump? Madrid first. And then Paris. Okay. But it, it is the afterthought masters, of course. I mean, I don't begrudge that it has a 1,000 level. That's fine, whatever. Hulger is the defending champion. Djokovic is back. Carlos is playing this week. We saw him practicing with Djokovic. As to why you do that, I don't quite know. I don't <laughs> think there's any benefit to him at this point to be practicing with Djokovic other than to give Djokovic familiarity. There's, One of the best assets yeah. he has going for him is the unpredictable nature of his game in that people still don't really know what to expect. So, But more power to him, I guess. I'm sure the ATP loves the photo op. He is leading the tour with six titles, uh, but he has not won a title since Wimbledon, since winning Queen's Club and Wimbledon back-to-back. Ben Shelton and Francis Tiafoe, like you said, had a theoretically thin chance to qualify for the ATP finals, but they both lost in their first round today. Shelton to Davidovich Fokina and Francis to Bublik. Mm. Oh, yeah. There isn't a whole, a whole lot to say because of where we are in the week. Yeah, right I think now, so. So that was a really quick recap. Um, I think there's more anticipation about what will happen in this week's WTA finals, wrapping up the season on the men's side. Yeah, it's been a long year, as it always is. I mean, Arena Sabalenka is out here setting fire to everything in her path so far in Cancun, be it the preparation, the organizers, her opponent in the first round, Maria mm-hmm. Sakari, who was lucky to escape with one single solitary game. Right. And you know what? I was just thinking about this. WTA is going through a very rough period organizationally, clearly. And somebody needs to lead. Somebody needs to be the leader. And if that makes you unlikable, that's just how the cookie crumbles, right? You think in, in her day, everybody loved Billie Jean King? No. Oh. This is not the same thing. 
but I'm looking for leadership. Oh. And I understand that it requires taking laser-like focus off of your career in order to being a leader, but I don't know. I don't know that that's what this is. I think this is largely self-interested. And so what? Like, right, at least when somebody you is categorize it. something as leadership, it necessarily means for the betterment and for the good of all mm-hmm. or the majority. And I absolutely do not think that that's what this <laughs> and is. And I'm not saying that she is going to be a leader or even wants to be. I'm just saying I would like to see leadership from the top of the tour on things that are frustrating to them because it's becoming clear that the players are pissed off about certain things. I'd just like to hear some... Or dare I say some collective action. Oh, yeah. Anyway, now that we've wrapped up the live tennis part of the show, some etc. stuff, tennis news, what have you, and let's start with Jensi Brooksby-Swanson. Jensen Brooksby-Swanson. Jensen Brooksby. Jensen's his first name. Well, you know I will never get it right. Hence why I crutch (laughs) (laughs) with... The Swanson part of it. Yeah. I don't like that you call this an etc. Because for me, this is like the center this is prime of the time. episode. I love covering anti-doping. I find it very interesting. Yeah, you just got a message sent to you from longtime listener David saying, Oh, I, I live for James's drug segments. <laughs> See? So there's one. I know that at least one person cares. Well, maybe not. The Jamaican in me had this segment listed as druggists mm-hmm. a druggist in alleged i think druggists. in the commonwealth a druggist is a pharmacist well co- colloquially mm-hmm. it can mean something else let's mention simona's case first she has officially appealed her suspension to the court of arbitration for sport which we will henceforth refer to as cas cas some people say oh, okay she did a cute Insta story of her practicing tennis with Sia's song Never Give Up. Mm-hmm. I j- I'm glad it wasn't Unstoppable. That's definitely overdone. Oh. I actually, I don't know the song Never Give Up, but, uh, you know, good for her. It could have been Rise Up. <laughs> and she'll rise up. It, well. Jensen Brooksby, a few months ago, uh, in July actually, announced that he was voluntarily accepting a provisional suspension due to whereabouts failures, meaning that he was charged with a rule violation under the tennis anti-doping program related to having to report your whereabouts and be there and ready to take a test. So he missed three tests within a 12-month period, and that's an an automatic violation. Per the tennis anti-doping program, section 2.4, whereabouts failures by a player... Any combination of three missed tests and or filing failures within a 12-month period by a player in a registered testing pool. That's the category that he was dinged under. And it says it is each player's responsibility to, quote, be knowledgeable of and comply with this program at all times. And to, quote, be available for sample collection at all times upon request, whether in competition or out of competition. The word available will become very important later on, so stay tuned. He was charged on June 7th. The suspension was drawn up in July, which is when he announced it publicly and said he was going to be requesting a hearing from an independent tribunal. They released their full report earlier this week, which I read. It's a meager 22 pages compared to well over 120 for Simona's. You've often heard 
that players have to make their whereabouts known. Whereabouts, whereabouts, whereabouts. But what does that mean? How do they actually do it? I believe there's an app that they use. Yeah, there's an online database that they can adjust in real time. So they have to make quarterly whereabouts filings. So it's not just say, oh, December 25th, just had my Christmas dinner. Let me put my whereabouts for the entire 2024 season. In quarterly segments, I guess every three months, you have Mm -hmm. to provide these whereabouts. And failure to do so is called a filing failure. For each day, they must specify a 60-minute time slot between 5 a.m. and 11 p.m. No, 5 a.m. is just crazy. Mm-hmm. But you you see a lot of players take advantage of the very early slots because they can be guaranteed basically to be in their hotel rooms at that time if they're traveling. So for each day, they must specify a 60-minute time slot between 5 a.m. and 11 p.m. where they'll be available at a specific location for testing. If they're not available at that location during the 60-minute slot, that's a missed test. Now, what hasn't been readily clear in the past, and hopefully we can we can shine some light on it here, is that there is some wiggle room and nuance. It's not just a one-and-done, that's a, a, a first strike. Right, right. Tennis players travel more than most athletes. Their travel plans change constantly if they lose early in a tournament or they want to stay on and practice in that location. They're able to use that online database to change their their travel plans really at any time. Uh, and it is the doping control officer's responsibility to check that if they can't locate the player. But So what does a doping control officer do if they cannot locate the athlete where they said they'd be? They have to make a, a quote, reasonable attempt to get in touch mm-hmm. with them. They should first check if the, if the players made any last-minute updates to the whereabouts info. But what's key here in trying to facilitate this test, they cannot in any way alert the player to their presence within that 60-minute window. They can check with the hotel. They can check. They ask the front desk to call the player's room. If that doesn't work, then they ask them to call again every 10 to 15 minutes or so. And only within the last five minutes of that 60-minute window is the DCO able to call the player's phone directly, a right. cell phone, because otherwise they'd be alerting them that, hey, we're about, we're here. And that's only as a last resort, and it's not an obligation. The, the officer does not have to contact the player directly via cell phone if they don't want to. They can only do that if they have only five minutes left in the testing window, and if the officer has made reasonable efforts to locate the player through other means. In order for it to be a missed test or to be deemed one, the athlete would need to be deemed at least negligent in failing to be at the specified location during the 60-minute time slot. It is ultimately the player's responsibility to ensure that they can be located. So you can see here that the onus on the player is quite high. All they need to be deemed to be in violation of the rule is to be negligent. Now, that varies. They can be at significant fault, high fault, but negligent is the bar. That's it. Now, Brooksby, he acknowledged receiving the rules from the ITF, but that, quote, he did not read it in any detail, as he left many of the responsibilities of meeting his anti-doping obligations to his agent, Amrit Narasimhan. He also apparently passed up an in-person info session and a webinar. Right. And this is key here because when you're looking at the considerations of whether someone is negligent and then what sort of suspension you should levy, 
the responsibility of the ITIA here is to make sure that the player knows that he or she is in the testing pool and also that they've had an opportunity to receive all of the rules and regulations and that they've had the chance to read them. He was offered uh, an in-person info session at Roland Garros. He was offered a webinar, and I imagine that all players are offered these things. He declined both. The three tests that are in question here, the three that he is dinged as having missed. The first one was in February 2022, where he, quote, forgot to update his training location, assuming that his coach would update the agent. That one's uncontested. So at that point, one strike. The second test is the one that he does contest. And in the report, it's the only one there's any real detail about. This happened in June 2022 in Bosch, where Brooksby was staying at a hotel with his physio. The tester, or the DCO, uh, arrived at the hotel, spoke to the front desk staff, and the staff informed the tester that Brooksby had not yet checked into the hotel. That they had a reservation here, but the person had not checked in. The officer stayed in the hotel lobby for an hour. He rechecked the database in case the player made any last-minute updates to his location. And then with four minutes to go left in the window, he called Jensen's mobile phone directly and got voicemail. There were some other weird details about, uh, you know, the hotel staff let the officer actually look at their reservation screen, which he said was very unusual, and there were a few notes next to the reservation that said, like, twin and 515, denoting the room number. But the ITIA and the tribunal said the officer had no responsibility to interrogate what any of those notes meant. In reading this, it's weird to me that this person could just show up and ask for pretty personal information at a hotel about one of their guests. Right. And per, I mean, these are typically player hotels, so maybe they've been briefed on it, but mm. a lot of people work at a hotel, right. right? The front desk staff is always changing. There are a lot of people who are new, right. you know, right. it's... Whoever was at the front desk that day, like, spun their screen around and was like, yeah, here, look. <laughs> here, look at the book. So when Brooksby found out about this, he requested what's called administrative review because he said that he was there. Uh, he was present where he said he was going to be present, but the room was booked under his physio's name. That's because they didn't book through the tournament, the usual protocol, I guess because they got a better deal. He said he had offered to give the front desk his passport when they checked in and they said it was not necessary, which is very odd. But it, it should be said it's not the front desk's job to do with anti-doping protocols. Like they don't work for the ITF. And he also said he wrote his name on a piece of paper and asked one of the hotel staff to add him to the reservation. And then in a most unfortunate, super unlucky for him, turn of events, he misses a third test in February of 2023. But on the 4th of February 2023, at a Florida hotel, his whereabouts location was not updated. He claims that he had just fired his coach and changed his travel plans, claiming his agent did not update the location. Again, uncontested by the player. Right. So the first and third tests, he has not contested formally. The second is the one under question here. For the first and third, he kind of blames his agent, Mm -hmm. right? He had sort of downloaded all these responsibilities onto his agent. He did what Simona probably should have done and found somebody to blame. Uh, It didn't work for Jensen, but it was an attempt. From reading this judgment, I'm seeing that he says, I didn't read the email. I didn't do the webinar. 
didn't want the training, didn't do this, didn't do that, was already on a second missed test from June of 2022, which which means that he had another eight months to really make sure that he didn't catch another case in order to be clear. And he did not do his due diligence at all, at all. It was negligent to the highest degree. <laughs> yeah, this is an example of where the independent tribunal agreed with the ITIA and decided not to reduce the suspension. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves a little. There was a little back and forth about uh, Brooksby claiming that there was nothing more he could have done to be available. The tribunal rejected that outright, saying, your phone was on silent. You didn't add yourself to the you reservation. You didn't answer the phone. Right. You didn't add yourself to the reservation. You should have insisted. And an important thing here is that the player not only has to be present where they say they're going to be, they also have to be available and accessible to take the test. Being in the location is not enough. You also have to be able to be contacted and perform the test. Many times on Fraser, Niles and Fraser were in the same location, but through a confluence of events, closing doors, <laughs> opening doors, moving in different locations, like you just had, you missed the oh moment. My God, like the chalet episode. Yes. <laughs> so this is a farce of the highest degree, right? This, this whereabouts failure. There were some key questions that had to be answered through this tribunal. So the first is, did the doping control officer do everything that was reasonable in the circumstances to locate the player on June 4th? So reasonable in the circumstances is the legal test here. The tribunal found that the officer complied with protocol, did what was reasonable in the circumstances. The officer may phone the player directly as a last resort only, which he did, and the player did not answer. And they also said, even if the officer saw these notes for like room 515 and twin, he's not obligated to interrogate what that is. And then the second question is, was the player negligent? Because that's the, the thing that determines guilt here. Was the player negligent at all in not being available during the window? The player acknowledged he knew he was in the testing pool, the player acknowledged that he hadn't read the materials and that his agent was handling it for him. Because he wasn't available for that test on June 4th, then Brooksby has the responsibility to establish that he wasn't negligent, that there was some other reason he wasn't available. And that piece of paper that he allegedly gave the hotel staff, that was not sufficient. This piece of paper given to somebody to then add him to the reservation so that when the DCO shows up, they're able to locate him. The tribunal claims that he should have known that there were multiple hotel staff members. He could have asked the physio himself to add Brooksby to the reservation, thus updating his whereabouts to room 515. And also, his phone was on silent. The ITIA submitted that the player's fault was significant for some of the reasons that we just mentioned. The tribunal felt that it was a high degree of fault meaning they've levied this 18-month suspension because of a few things. You know, the considerations are, was anti-doping education available? Yes. Was the player aware that he was staying in a room that he wasn't registered to? Yes, he was. Was the player notified of the consequences of a mistest after each violation? Yes, he was. Uh, he'd never read the rules. He was relying on someone else to update his location. It's just... <laughs> It's hit upon hit it's upon not, hit. It's just not good. It makes Brooksby look 
totally inept, right? You've missed two, and then you miss another one in February of the following year, and you say, I had just fired my coach, changed my travel plans, and my agent didn't do what he was supposed to do. But ultimately, your agent is not going to serve a doping suspension. You are. You see with a lot of young tennis players, or tennis players, period, like they're a very specific niche group of people that don't seem to take enough care about things that they should have piercing autonomy over. Right. And a lot of these people have never had to handle like the regular administrative duties of being an adult person, right? Like there's always someone to do it for them. And if that person falls down on the job, in their perspective, that person's at fault, right? No, my agent didn't do it. Right, but this is your career, your life, Mm -hmm. and we now have many documented instances where you should be aware that this could happen to you. That this same lack of oversight on a player's part has led to the downfall of countless people now. Mm -hmm. That it should be something, especially after a second mistest in June of last year. That you're you're checking that database every day. Right? <laughs> you know. This is not to say that it's not a highly stressful thing, but given how this played out, was he stressed at all? I, you know, like one of right. the defenses <laughs> against this this whereabout situation and the, the anti doping controls as it pertains to the day to day life of a player having to live within these stringent confines is that wow, what an anxiety ridden experience that must be it must be hell to live like that but it seems like jensby just was head up in the clouds like not jensby um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i the defense itself didn't really feel all that rigorous right he was he hired howard jacobs who is this prominent sports attorney and i don't it didn't seem like the legal team had all that much to work with feels kind of cut and dry. I mean, in Simona's case, you can say we did a, a bevy of scientific tests on this, uh, this supplement. We found that it contains the banned substance. And there's more room for, for nuance in that case. In this one, based on, I think, like both the spirit and the letter of the rules here, they're all clear-cut violations. And there's not a whole lot you can do. Now, as we've said, like the rules are very strict. Right there, they give you three chances, whatever. But I imagine it's probably easy to miss a test here or there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I personally would hate this this lifestyle. Right, that would drive me mad to have somebody come in my room at six a.m. and uh, but this is this is the anti doping program, and it's supposed to be a surprise. Right, but it's it's more specific than I had really allowed myself to grasp before. Because you are giving them the one-hour window, right? Yeah. I I don't know if everybody knows It's not that. like, for me, I imagined a situation where I'd be sleeping at 7 a.m. and knock, 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 knock. And that would be just so intrusive and abhorrent for me to be woken up out of my sleep. But they wouldn't do that if I hadn't put 7 to 8 on my availability. Am I reading that correctly? No, you're right. It's like, so there's this window, you choose the time yeah. between 5 a.m. and 11 p.m. So if you pick 5 a.m., they're not going to come at noon. You you get to choose that 60-minute window. You may forget which window you chose. You know, you may be woken up and disoriented or whatever, but you have submitted that you will be available at these times. Perhaps at the end of every tournament week, the last thing you do on that Sunday, should you make it that far, 
or the last thing you do before you leave a city is update your whereabouts for the next week. Mm -hmm. And maybe you, you know, you go to press and you ask a reporter, can you remind me on Sunday to update my whereabouts? I mean, I, I, it sucks, but I don't think it's an, as impossible as it seems. And also, I'm left feeling less sympathetic when this is the defense. When it's just yeah. abject neglect and failure. And uncaring <laughs> on the player's part. I mean, I do appreciate the honesty of like, yeah, the first and third tests, I don't have any defense for that. Uncontested. But retroactively, the second one is yeah. where... yeah. So he's going to be out till January 2025, unless some appeal happens where that's shortened. Right, and it could be. So next step is a potential appeal to the CAS, which is where Simona is right now. Uh, Howard Jacobs, I mentioned, is the lawyer for both of those players. I knew that he was a prominent sports attorney who worked on anti-doping cases, but look at the list of names he's worked with. Sharapova, Lepchenko, Chilich, Marion Jones, Veronica Campbell... Tim Montgomery. Dinah Tarazi, a basketball legend. This is the lawyer you want if you're going into a case like this. Elsewhere in tennis, Serena Williams made an appearance on the social scene and she caught a case for it. You know, people are bored. She was at a restaurant opening in Miami. I guess it's um, one of her friends or somebody she knows. And Caroline Wozniacki was there with her husband, David Lee, who every time you say David Lee, I say who? I, ca- I cannot remember this man's I thought name. you were going to say it was, it was the divorce lawyer from The Good Wife. <laughs> yes. But I keep thinking J.J. Watt. Did she not date him? Maybe. I, I... Who is he? He was somebody that was dated by somebody. Probably her. Yeah, but what sport? What, was a football player. What sport does David Lee play? Basketball. He was basketball. He was a New York Knick, drafted oh, by the okay. Knicks. Got it. Many, so... many double-doubles in his career. He was a fan favorite. He seems like a nice guy. Uh, Wozniacki and her husband... Mr. Wozniacki Lee, or Lee Wozniacki, took a picture with Arena and somebody else. Arena nobody, being Arena Sabalenka. Yes, the current world number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Riley Opelka, who nobody seems to be perturbed that he was cropped out of the photo. Because, I mean, they they just... Well, A, he's Riley Opelka. And <laughs> that's, that's Venus's little friend. It doesn't matter. Like, his proximity to the William, Williamses has always been a nuisance for the fandom. And also the fact that he could be omitted is a plus. So nobody's <laughs> yes. going to check that. Well, yeah, but the people who are mad about the cropping were Serena haters because she chopped out Sabalenka. Okay, I mean, but nobody's going to care about Riley. That's the point. Yeah, that's, okay, that's sure. all I'm pushing back on. Okay, fine. Mm. I mean, I don't, I can't guess what these people care about. Caroline posted the same picture on her socials that had the full. I didn't know Riley was not in that one. I don't. Think. Oh, really? Maybe not. Maybe it was a different picture then. Maybe. Maybe there were a few. Yeah. But Serena only posted the picture with her and Caroline and maybe the restaurateur or something. Mm -hmm. It was clear after having seen the other pictures from that night that Arena had been cropped out. And in my mind, I'm like, have you tried posting a picture to Instagram before? Depending on how you take it, it may not all fit. And if it does fit, you may have to make yourself super small or the way you look for it to fit doesn't suit me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I will gladly crop out people if I'm going to look better in it. Right. And also, who cares? This woman has been retired now for over a year, evolved for over a year. She's had another baby. Uh, I mean, either we are desperate for Serena content or people are just bored and love to hate on this woman. 
Uh, I mean, she ruffled a lot of feathers with the post about Simona's doping ban. Yeah. So people are, like, mad. Petty and unnecessary. Can we talk about how deeply uninteresting Serena's post-playing career as an entrepreneur is? (laughs) I am so bored to death by... And unimpressed. You're not into VCs? I'm not impressed at all. Like, you could be out here doing anything else but that. But being queen of capital. (laughs) But, okay, queen of black capital, slightly better. You know, giving opportunity to black businesses. (sighs) But still. But still. It's not my thing. No. Um, But it's her thing. Just please, with the NFTs and the crypto, like, keep your distance. The WTA Finals, they're about to kick off. By the time you'd have listened to this episode, the tournament will have already started. Over the past few weeks, uh, because really there have only been weeks to prepare for this thing, that we saw pictures of the site, uh, this golf course with nothing on it. Then you kind of saw like the outline of a stadium. If you've ever been to like Circus Maximus in Rome, that's all that's left is like the outline. That was what this was. Uh, they put up some stands. They laid the court this week. But when the players arrived to Cancun, the court was not done. The stadium was not done. Apparently, they only had one stringer on site. Apparently, there were two practice courts, and they couldn't get to practice on the show court, the stadium court, until a day before the tournament starts. So each player got one practice session no more than an hour. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they can find private clubs to practice at, but that really is not the point. So when I see the WTA posting photos of like, oh, here it is. Look, we did it in time. I'm not impressed. That feels very unserious to me. Meanwhile, Sabalenka's impress, not impressed, impress, along with Shabur. And who else did I hear from? I'm sure many other players saying, this is just not okay. Sabalenka was unequivocal. Shabur was a little bit more measured but went on to say that this should never, ever, ever, ever happen again. There were many evers in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out to Marketa Vondrosova on her social. She is expert level at this. She posted an Insta story, tagged location Cancun, and it's a picture of like eight workers on a construction site. And she's photoshopped each of the players' heads on top of the construction <laughs> workers, with hard hats for a few of them. This shit is so funny. But on the real, and to Arena's point specifically, this is the premier, one of the premier events on the WTA. Well, the, well, the premier the tour WTA itself, yeah. tour event. And this is what the top mm-hmm. players are meant to do deal with. You have the two groups already decided, and in the Bacalar group there's Sabalenka, Rybakina, Pegula, Sakari, and then the Chetumal group there's Sviantek, Goff, Jabur, and Vandrosheva. Each of those players is going to have to play three matches in that round robin stage and they're all going to be high pressure, high stakes. This is not no rolling up to the first round of a tournament and get an easier match to, to play your way into the mm-hmm. tournament. You need to have a grip a grasp an understanding of what the playing conditions are before you roll up and your first match is Shvantek Goff. Right. Because you really, you can't take it easy. You're vulnerable from the first set. Even if you you take a while to ease into that match, you lose the first set, that can 
haunt you later on if they're counting sets one. You know, like it is always pressure from the first match. The bottom line is these are the top eight players on your tour for the year. You need to be providing the optimal conditions for them to play their optimal tennis. At the end of a long season, they're here trying to give it one last go to showcase the best that women's tennis has to offer. Like this is amateur Bush Mm -hmm. League bullshit. The last few years, for a confluence of reasons, it the event has felt like an afterthought. And as a consequence, well, maybe not as a consequence, but uh, alongside that, the winner has not been the best player of the year. Right? We've had a few surprise winners. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the best player in the year is just wiped out. Sometimes they don't even play. <laughs> right? And this year, Iga Sviantek has played a slightly lighter season. But she's still a light season for her is 75 matches. She has played a lot, but she's considered rested compared to what she was last year. But, you know, if you want the best results, if you want to give off the best aura that this is a a highly professional sought after women's sporting league, we lead the world. This is not how you do it. World number one is up for grabs at this tournament. The players got all glammed and... Even that, it felt like a, it, it didn't get like the attention it normally does, I don't think, which is probably actually a good thing. Yes. We've but, talked about uh, it every year, yeah. how it's so mean, the way people talk about these women and how they dress. Yes. But with this one photo, the thing that stuck out and you could not miss it was that everybody was dressed in white except for Igas Fiantek, who was dressed very redly. <laughs> very redly. <laughs> it was actually such a bad bitch move. <laughs> Even if it wasn't intentional, it was, wow. She's not even number one anymore. But she rolled up to the place and said, like, I'm the queen. I'm going to wear whatever color I want to wear. Right. We all can wear wedding dresses. But then Ellen Perez says that the guidelines, the guidances as to what the, the, the what do you call it? The attire? Like the dress code? The dress code, yes. Mm. That it was wild and all over the place. Yeah, like That it, it went from formal and... wear to casual to wear whatever the hell you want. From white only to, well... And so Seven showed up in white and Ego did did that. Mm. And whatever the reason, however we got there, the visual was worth it. <laughs> Before the tournament started, Karolina Mukhova pulled out, unfortunately, with injury. And Maria Sakari took her place as the number eight seed... Maria really, like, she got herself in there at the very last moment, winning Guadalajara. And because of Carolina's uh, withdrawal, Krejcikova is the first alternate. She was the second. And Madison Keys slipped in there. Right, but are they going to be on site? Yeah, so Krejcikova lost. Well, they actually, they both lost in the round robin. Krejcikova went one and one. Madison was kind of wrapped up and lost both her matches. I don't know if she's in the condition to play. But uh, technically, they do have time to get there. From China to Mexico. Right. I don't know. If you show up and you play a match, like, you win points and money. It it might be worth it. You have here noted. I don't know where you got this information from. I don't know if it's correct. Oh, no. This is from the WTA itself. Okay. If Sabalenka wins two round-robin matches and reaches the final, she will keep number one for the year-end. If Sviantek loses one round-robin match, then Sabalenka will clinch number one if she goes undefeated in round robin or reaches the final. That's just way too much for me to wrap my head around. There are a number of scenarios. I didn't list all of them here, but the key is that the number one ranking is technically up for grabs, but Arena Sabalenka has the advantage. 
it's hers to lose. So that's your major tennis viewing to look forward to next week. That and the Paris Masters. We're going to finish the show with this segment called I've Had It. It's a direct ripoff of, is there actual show called I've Had It? I think so. Those white ladies? Those two middle-aged white ladies who I think are lawyers or something and they just... Oh, they're lawyers? One of them is at least and they talk about the things that they've had it with. (laughs) And they've gotten great notoriety on social media. Their videos being shared virally all over the place because, well, they seem to share similar political Mm -hmm. leanings as Mm -hmm. we and a lot of people do and they haven't been problematic to date and i say to date because i fully expect that shoe to drop (laughs) (laughs) well because how many times you find something that you really really enjoy and then oh oh there they go (laughs) right and you have to make a decision on whether or whether or not you can kind of set that to the side and still enjoy it i first found out about them on tiktok Yes. I mean, it is a perfect TikTok Same. format, right? Because they're filmed. It's just, it's quippy. And it is real, really fun to bitch sometimes. And to listen to people bitch. You know what I've had it with? What? I've had it with people who you, people in general, but especially people who don't know you, who've never met you, you're meeting for the first time, and they want to lead with What sign are you? (laughs) First of all, it's none of your business. And second of all, you're now using this piece of information to essentialize and generalize everything that you think you know about me without even doing any work to find out anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I know you're sitting there in your head, James, saying, well, you're particularly pressed about this because of your particular sign. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what it is. It's just that people always have something negative to say about your sign. It's always some bullshit. Yeah. So when you tell them you're a blank, they're like, oh, oh, oh makes sense. Uh, it all makes sense uh, now. Or, or, oh, with wariness, you know? Well, fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> I don't look at you and say, well, what's your sign? Oh, makes sense. That crusty upper lip. Mm-mm. I don't say that. No. So why are you doing the same about my personality? Hear me roar is what oh. I have to say to that. Mm. That that's it. That's your whole life habit. That's one. What? How many are there? I don't know, but I don't have. To, what is? What else more is to say about that? Oh, okay. I mean, I enjoy zodiac stuff, but I don't really take it that seriously. Right. Have it. Do it. Live your life. That. Well, don't bring it to me when you don't know me. Right. It is so inappropriate, mm. in my opinion. Yes. What is something you've had I've, it with? I have had it with this city. Mm. I bet this is traffic related or no, transportation related. No, it's everything related. related. We live in Toronto, and it's becoming increasingly clear to me, this is a city that doesn't really want you here. The people who lead the city do not want you to have fun. They do not give a shit about your life. They all have backyards and barbecues, and jacuzzis, and cottages up north. So they do not really give a fuck what your life is like here. You can't drink in parks. You can't have fun anywhere. You cannot get anywhere in traffic. We have a streetcar system, but the streets are made for cars, so streetcars are just stopped for, like, hours behind cars turning left. I mean, can you be any more stupid? The city is designed wrong. 
It's expensive, and for what? I look at the prices now. I leave the house, look at the traffic, the prices, and the freaking frowns on everybody's faces. And I'm like, what the hell are we paying for here? I will tell you, the food is bomb. It really is. <laughs> the variety well, of food. Well, let's, <laughs> let me here pull up your Uber Eats for the last two months. Excuse you. <laughs> Uh, no, the food is really good. But, uh, like, if people tell me, oh, I'm coming to Toronto, whatever, like, don't. Don't come. Don't. Don't. Come. Don't come. And worse, if they say, oh, I want to move, don't. Do not move here. We're, we were lucky to get here when we did and find rent that was only a little bit egregious. But, uh, yeah, I've just had it. We were. I was just talking to a friend of ours about, like, what must it be like being a like a teenager or a college student now. And I'm thinking like, it must suck. Honestly. What in the city? Here, there or and in everywhere. Mm. I mean, they don't know any better. I guess they only not. know what they know. Well, but if you lived before the pandemic and now are living after, you know that almost everything is materially worse. So that's that's my I've had it. I'm <laughs> I mm. wish I had uh sunnier news something else i've had it with is the people who insist on backing into their parking spots <laughs> of which i know a few personally you do very personally you might even share blood with and i want that. to preface this by saying you know there are legitimate reasons why one would need to I don't want to sound ableist in this rant. Mm -hmm. If you need to, to get in and out of your car physically more easily. Mm. Gotcha. But oftentimes, it's people who are lollygagging, who haven't the slightest regard for anybody else around them, who will stop traffic in parking lots anywhere that they need to, hold you up, and then not be able to use their side view mirror <laughs> to park in an efficient way. Like, these people cannot drive. I'm convinced. No, they cannot they, drive. They cannot. Because if you're that pressed in this day and age, when you still have all these cameras around you to help you do it, but you must still, still back your ass up just for that slight convenience to you and you alone to be able to get out quicker when you leave that's really what it is <laughs> what and a lot of the people who are backing in don't actually know how to back in they don't so it takes a quite a while yeah yes i, I feel you mm. um i'm not going to add anything i don't want to you know be too doom and gloom well it's a my, segment it's a my, segment i've had it was pretty serious though you know okay so you have nothing more frivolous mm. you've had a long time to think about this i know there's just so much. And you've asked me to stop complaining. No, I've asked you to stop complaining about transportation. <laughs> about the same thing. You know, fine. I've had it with J.C. Chazé's Chazé? Not being, I always thought it was Chazé. Not being a superstar. Not having the career he should have had. Instead. I've had it. You it, really lean into the enunciation of that. I've had it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we've suspected for a long time that Justin Timberlake was trash. We've gotten more confirmation of this with Britney's book. Wow, he is he is going through it right now. 
That was a nice little segue you did there. <laughs> we actually got a question from one of our listeners at Daydreamer Oz asking for a future episode, could you guys please provide your thoughts on Britney's memoir? How do Britney's parents compare with tennis ones and also Michelle Williams as the awesome narrator of the audiobook? Fauches. <laughs> Did you hear that part? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have not well, read... Well, when, when that question came in, I did not know that what that reference was for. Right. So I was like, Daydreamer Oz, you do you. If that's how you, <laughs> you sign thought, off... You thought Fauches was like total non-sequitur. Right? I was like, that's just how you talk. <laughs> mm. We have not read the memoir, but we've heard what you all have heard. We've, the stuff that's I mean, out. we're on TikTok, you more than most. So <laughs> right. you've seen a lot of the stuff. I know, but... A lot I, of the juicy bits. I do want to read it, so I don't really want to spoil the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, if you lived through the early 2000s, you saw Justin Timberlake do his sort of black cosplay, uh, whatever you want to call it, black fishing... That was common back then. Not saying that it was okay, but it was almost like it just was and everybody just observed it. And that was, I don't know. Do you remember? Like, it was part of he pop wore culture cornrows. back then. It he, wasn't just him. It was Pink. Right. Oh, Pink was a white girl who true. came out sounding black by design mm-hmm. and looking a certain way. I mean, Christina Aguilera has the that dirty video, video. With, and the the video with little Kim wh- where she's basically like extra tanned and dressed in like a culturally specific way that's not her culture. <laughs> that's it's something very Stefani-esque. Oh god. Oh, and we and, live through Gwen Stefani. And, perhaps the yes. most egregious example. Of appropriation. So I'm saying, yes. if you are to hold just into that fire, burn them all down. Right. But we can certainly laugh about it. And Justin clearly had a particular interest in like uh, being culturally black, or at least like a white person who was down. Mm-hmm. Uh, now when you look at it, it looks so S- incredibly stupid. cringe. Like, just cringe. But to Daydreamer Oz's point... Michelle Williams narrating that part <laughs> where Britney is describing what? what Justin was doing and saying in that moment, trying to sound, quote unquote, my words, street. Mm-hmm. Just another stroke layer of genius. upon layer upon layer. You know, white Michelle with, with her cute, slight little lisp. She is just, I mean, can they give Academy Awards for audiobooks? Because she is overdue. She's a four-time nominee, people. In audiobooks? In. <laughs> Stop. Uh, Brittany, I haven't read all of the stuff that's come out about their relationship, but what I have heard hasn't been surprising. It's really depressing. It's very sad what she went through and the type of things that Justin was allegedly up to. Um, I'm so glad like we're at a point culturally where people really feel for Britney and empathize with what she was dealing with because when she was a superstar back then, it was just so popular to dump on her and say just the nastiest things about her. It was culturally acceptable. And other women participated in that as well. You know, Avril Lavigne acted... Avril Lavigne was like the biggest pick me there was, right? 
who had this whole image of being, oh, I'm a punk, I'm a bad girl. And it was just like she constantly slut-shamed people like Britney. Pink did the same thing, too. Yes, yes. She who has the most authentic personality going. <laughs> Let me not start on Miss Pink. Uh, no, Alicia. but it's... Uh, She's an Alicia, isn't she? She is. It's sad that Britney had to endure all of that stuff for people to like finally reach a place where they felt for her. She had to suffer, right, before people well, would really... Well, she had also suffered publicly enough yeah. to satisfy you know, that sick urge that people had to be now, well, now let's do that other thing and we'll see how long we do that before it's time to maybe redeem good old Justin again. This question about Britney's parents compared to Tennis' parents is fascinating because Tennis' parents is actually a topic that I have always wanted to cover in a long-form episode that I think one day we will. And we have, uh, to some extent, we talked about... uh, Elena Dokic's upbringing, some other people who had horribly abusive tennis parents. But I think it's just like an endless mine. So that's that I've had it segment. A little bit something different. It's not really something different. It's just something to really focus our outrage a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Similar to, to the make rant, it more but, accessible. <laughs> What's the word to make it more acceptable? <laughs> Thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. You can find everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. If you enjoy the show, by all means, please leave us a review on iTunes specifically. Those help build the profile of the show. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.